welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open up to Genesis chapter 2. We've got a lot of scripture today, so we'll be bouncing around, but that'll be where we'll kind of start at, Genesis chapter 2. Um, I wasn't here with you guys last week, and I did miss you. Uh, I texted our deacons on Sunday morning and just said, I am praying for Ramsey Heights, and, and I did. Jessica and I were able to attend church down in Dallas um, at a church that we're aware of and know, uh, know a lot about. So we got to do that, but we were still, our hearts were still here with you, even though we weren't here. I was watching the clock and going, okay, they're singing, and then. And I was watching as I, okay, they're getting ready to preach and it's invitation time and I was praying for y'all. But uh, Jessica and I in Oakley, we took a little time last week for us, just a little vacation time and we did go to Dallas. And here's what I learned about Texas. It's hot down there. And when I say hot, I mean it is hot. It was 108 one day, 112 another day. It was so hot, I texted some of my friends and said, y'all better make sure you're right with Jesus. We are not meant to endure this kind of heat for eternity. Witnessing 101 here at Ramsey Heights, okay? That's, that's how you witness. But uh, it was really, really hot down there. But um, I, I missed you guys, and I'm so glad to be back. Before we left, we were in a series called Unify Us, and we were talking about what it means to be unified as a church, how we can pursue unity, what God calls us to in unity and the things that we may have to give up in order to be unified. And to be honest with you, I'm not quite done with that yet. I still have a couple of chapters that I felt like uh, I wanted to go through in that when we came back. But as we were gone, it just kind of was on my heart that things have changed since the last time I saw you guys. And, and there's been a huge change. And I just, I really felt like God called us to pause on unify us and to address this huge change. Since the last time that I've seen you, there has been a landmark Supreme Court case called the Dobbs case. And if you're not familiar with that, it's because you have not watched the news, have any friends, been on social media, been outside, or woken up. Like Everybody has heard about this. It's creating a firestorm across America. What the, what the Dobbs case does is it overturns a former Supreme Court ruling called uh, Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade said that it is a constitutional right of an American to seek and, ch- uh, to seek and obtain an abortion. But the Supreme Court has come out over the last week, I think it was last Friday, and they announced that they are overturning that ruling, that that will no longer be the case, and that states may make their own decisions regarding um, abortion. And Arkansas and several other states moved within hours to make abortion illegal across much of America, while other states yet still moved to um, make more abortion protection within their states. And this is a huge, a huge deal. I've seen a lot of reactions. And what I want to do today and what I felt like we needed to do is we need to take some time as Christ followers and we need to talk about this issue. We need to leave politics outside the door. No Republicans, no Democrats, no conservatives, no liberals, no this president, that president. We need to leave that outside and we need to address this from a Christ follower's perspective. Where do you and I stand in this firestorm of fighting that has been going on over the past week over this decision? And I've seen and I know that there are many different reactions to that case and to that news about how the Supreme Court now sees abortion and the right to life, pro-life, pro-choice, however you want to say it. Many people are very excited about this. They're very excited. They really believe that this is God working in a country. It is an answer to many prayers and they believe that this is morally right. And yet several others, we still see lots of other people that are, that are very upset about this. They're listening to voices that tell them that they should be scared that the government is now waging a war on women. And I've seen others and talked to others yet that are cautiously optimistic. 
And, and they're just carrying away. And so this is a great thing, but they think a year ahead and we think of all the children that are about to be born by the grace of God, they're gonna be born, but they're still gonna be born to parents that never wanted them or desired them and may never love them. And there's a heaviness to that as well. And so we want to dive into scripture this morning and we want to address what perspective a Christ follower has. If you've got your outline, the first two points that we have, here's what we want today. Here are our goals for today. We want A, we want God's perspective. And B, we want God's attitude in perspective. So I'm going to say that again. We want, as followers of Christ, we want God's perspective and we want God's attitude in perspective. If you are a follower of Christ, the truth is you no longer have opinions. You, you don't get to pick what you want. You don't get to pick what your desires tell you is right. If you're a follower of Christ, you have given that up to follow Christ. When we talk about following Christ, we use two words a lot. We say we submit ourselves to God and we surrender to God. And both of those things mean that I take me and I lay me aside and I choose to do what God says to do, even if it conflicts with what might be natural to me. I submit and I surrender to him. I do it God's way over my way. You might put it this way, in every decision in life and everything that we cross, you get a vote. You and God, when you disagree, you each get a vote. I, I vote for blue and he votes for green. And we just can't make those two things because I'm like, God, no, blue. And God's like, no, 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 green. And so what happens is we cast our votes. I cast my vote for blue and God casts his vote for green. But here's the thing when you're a follower of Christ is God always has 51% of the vote. He always wins the vote because he always has the majority in our lives. Actually, that's a horrible example. Forget I said that. Really, what the Bible says, and just to be quite clear and quite frank, the Bible says you are bought with a price. That means if you are a follower of Christ, you do not own yourself. You are 100% sold and bought by the God of this universe. He owns me. He owns you. He owns our opinions. He owns our perspective. So, so what we want to do, if that's really how we feel, that we get to be owned by God. And by the way, that's not a negative thing. That's the greatest thing in the world. The God who spoke the world into existence, he wants me. He owns me. And so not do we say, oh, he owns me. I've got to do it his way. They say, he wants me. I get to do it his way. I get to be in his will. And this morning, that's what we desire is to be on God's side of every issue and to have the attitude of Christ in those issues. So we're going to seek in his word, what is his perspective? To, to answer this question, we've got to answer a few questions. Number one, we've got to answer what, what is human life? Is human life special? Is it precious? Is it not special? Is it not precious? We've got to seek from his word the question of when does this human life actually begin? And using that information, we've got to, we've got to decide what, what is God's stance on abortion, on pro-choice, pro-life, on the politics that are splitting, or not the politics, on the, on the issues that are splitting our country today. So that's what we're going to begin to track down. If you've got your Bibles with you, this is Genesis chapter 2. Read with me verse 7. Verse 7. This is part of the creation story, and it's talking about the creation of mankind. And the Lord God formed, everybody say formed. Formed. If you take notes in your Bible, that's a, that's a word to underline or highlight. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Everybody say breath of life. That's another one to underline. And man became a living soul. So if we're going to answer the question, what is a human life? You must go to the creation of humans to define human life. 
are they really right? Are we just animals because we're biological creatures that eat and reproduce? Is this all there is to life, that, that we just kind of exist and then we go away? Are we really important? Like, like, we've got to answer those questions, and we answer that through this verse. And this verse tells us so much about human life. Now, first off, it says that mankind was formed. Now, I want to be clear. This, this is special. You could gloss over that word. This is so special in that verse because everything else, if you read Genesis chapter 1, I don't have time to read it all right now. Go research it this week. Read Genesis chapter 1. Everything else that God created, he spoke into existence. And suddenly we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and it, and it changes. And God says, okay, we're going to create mankind. We're going to form him. Uh, when you think of uh, uh, forming something, you, you can kind of get this picture of God with his hands taking dirt and crafting it together and making each little individual part. There's a different level of detail when somebody forms something. I took my phone out of my pocket, but imagine I had my phone. Like somewhere at Apple, there's a CEO of Apple and they make iPhones. And at the beginning of the year, they probably have some kind of strategy meeting and go, okay, we're going to make a new iPhone this year. We want to make it better so more people will buy it. And this CEO is going to be like, here's what I think you need to do. You need a better camera. You need better programming. You need it to process faster. You need it to have capability for faster internet. You need to conserve space. And he's laying out this list of things and he's saying, okay, now you as a team, you go figure out how to make that work. Figure out how to make those three 12, megap 12 megapixel cameras fit in there. Figure out how to make it charge without having to be connected to wires. Figure out how to make the, the glass shatterproof. Figure out how to make it waterproof. He, ju he just directs them. That is on such a different level than if he was to sit down and say, okay, I'm leaving my CEO desk. I'm not going to work in here. And he, and he goes down to the workshop or to the lab or whatever. And he takes his tools and he takes the parts and he begins piecing them together and trying to fit them and designing them and measuring them. It's a different level of detail when you take your hands and you form something. And yet that's what, that's what God did with humankind, is he formed us. He took time to be intentional in how he created us. That means he started making the first human body, and he, and he took time to think toes. He took time to think hair. For some of us, he took time to think genes that make receding hair loss. He, he, he took time to figure out how eyes could be different colors, and he began to form humans. And at the end of that, laying on the ground in the midst of the dust it was formed from is a human body. But that's all it was. It's just a human body. It wasn't a person. It was a human body. I hate going to funerals. It's sad. I love supporting people. I love people and I, want to, I always want to hug them, but I just know that at a funeral you can't do anything. You can't do anything to make things better. And the worst part of going to a funeral is when you have to walk up to a casket that's open and you have to see the body of someone you once loved. And the hardest thing about that is when you walk up there and you look in, you kind of do a double take. You're like, that's not them. It's got their face and their hair it's got their looks, it's got their nose, but, but that's not them because what you see is not a human being. You can't recognize that person because they're not there. It's just a shell of a human. And yet when God created Adam, when he created the first man, that's what he had to start off with. It's just a lifeless shell of a human laying on the ground. But God continues here in Genesis. In Genesis. He says, he breathed the breath of life into him. And so something is gonna change here. 
Now, for years, I've always heard that, and I had this like mental picture. Maybe you're a little bit like me. You like to try to visualize the Bible. I had this mental picture of God doing CPR on this human body, right? Like he's, uh, you guys know the song, right? Ah, 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 staying alive. That's how you do CPR. For those of you who do CPR, that's how they train you. Do it to that, to that tune. And God's doing that, and he reaches down, and he grabs the nose, and he blows into Adam, and Adam's like, <gasps> and he comes back to life. That's not what the Bible's saying here at all. Well, this is so special. God could have created, God could have created Adam and just had him animate like he did an elephant or a giraffe or a monkey. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. God reaches down and he breathes the breath of life into him. That word breath in Hebrew actually means spirit or soul. And so I can't even explain this, but in some way, God bends down to this inanimate human body and he, and he breathes some part of his essence into Adam. And suddenly you go from this, this dead, lifeless body laying on the ground to suddenly Adam from that moment on is an eternal being. He lives forever because God puts something special in him. Instead of just creating a soul, God gave humans a part of himself in some special way. So here, here's our first take-home truth if you're taking notes, is this, is human life is God-formed and God-breathed. And nothing else in creation, nothing else in creation comes close to that level of detail or attention by God. The biggest mountain that you can find, the most beautiful sunset you can find. God spoke it into existence like it was nothing. Like I would say, take out the trash. God's like, make a mountain. And it just appeared. But not me and you, not humankind. And now the question we have to ask is like, why? Like he obviously took time to make a special. Why did he take time to make a special? Why, why did he just all of a sudden stop and go, humans, humans are going to be different. The reason for that is we were made with a purpose. If you've still got your Bibles open, you can back up to Genesis 1. And we're going to read verses 26 and 27. Before God formed humans, he gives a mission statement of what he's going to do. Why am I making humans? For what purpose? Read with me here. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all of the city or over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So what we see is God tells us before he creates humans, he sees why he, we see why he created us special, why he put so much effort and time into this. We are special. God said, let us make man in our image. Now don't gloss over that. It's not a typo when, when God says, let us make man in our image. This is the earliest place in the Bible that refers to the Trinity. God is three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, Holy Spirit. And, and so he says, we are going to make a man that represents up the, us, that is made in our image. And, and what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Does that mean that, that God's like, I need somebody who looks like me. That might be true. I mean, the Bible tells us that God sits on a throne. The Bible talks about the hand of God. The Bible even talks about God walking in different places. So maybe that's part of it. But yet God is not physical. He's spiritual. And so what the meaning of this is, is that we have a spiritual image of God. That means that we have spiritual, you might want to write these down if you take notes, spiritual, emotional, and mental, moral abilities that no other creations have. Listen, I, I love dogs. I love dogs, but they're not people. 
Your dog does not have the ability to think the way that we think. Your dog doesn't sit down and have to process through, okay, they took away my bone and that made me mad. Should I forgive them? Should I let this go? Your dog doesn't do that. The, the planets that God created, they don't sit there and make a decision and goes, okay, I think I'm going to orbit around the sun. They just do. Mountains don't get angry. Trees never have a reason to do something, whether it's right or wrong. All of these things are reserved specifically for God and for humans. We have his spiritual, emotional, mental, moral abilities that he gives us to reflect him. And on top of that, we are the only thing that is eternal. One of the only things. You might make an argument that angels and demons are eternal as well. We will always exist and when we talk about why humans are precious to God, that's why humans are precious to God is because he formed us specifically because he wanted us to be image bearers of his. That's why you may like kids. Like kids are pretty good. Like we want more kids in this church. I'm always excited to see kids here. I love the pictures of your kids and grandkids on Facebook. I'll be clicking the little like button when I see them. Like that's great. But let's be honest. I don't love your kids as much as I love my kid. Not even close. If it, was a, if, if, if it was any kind of a competition, like I'm walking out before you click start. I mean, I, I love my daughter more than I love your kids. Why is that? Because she's part of me and because she's made in my image. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? About this tall, pigtails, cute as a button. I, I got a picture coming up up here. Uh, I want to show you this. Like, ooh, coming up here, really important picture. The first black slide. Oh, there it is. Oh, isn't she cute? You know, she's so cute, y'all. I love her so much. Uh, that's not just, uh, that's not Oakley. Looks just like her, doesn't it? Do y'all know who that is? That's Jessica. That's my wife. And when, when we talk about our children being made in our image, like my daughter, that, that is a picture of my daughter. Like sometimes I look through my picture, I'm like, when did I take that? Oh, that's, that's actually Jessica when she was two. And for that reason, because she's made in our image, because she is part of us, I love her so deeply. Listen, that's the way that God looks at every single human. We're made in his image. He created and formed us, and he loves us extremely, extremely deeply, and there's no denying that. Just like just like we love our children because they're part of us. So our next take-home truth is this, is human life is created to reflect the nature of God. So here's what the scripture has taught us so far with only three verses. The scripture has taught us that human life was formed special by God. Human life was formed special by God for a purpose of being an image bearer of him. And for that reason, human life is precious to God. So now that brings the next question is when does human life begin? Because that's the big question on everybody's mind. Like when does human life begin? Is it, is it at conception? Like when it's just, you know, a little clump of cells? Is it when you can detect a heartbeat that that's when a person becomes a person and then that's an image of God? Is it only when they have hands and feet? Is it when they can think or feel? When does a person become in the image of God? Is it at 10 when they're annoying and we're ready to get rid of them? I, like, when does that happen? Well, there's several verses that address this, and I can provide more if you want to, but I think the most telling verse is in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. I want you to listen to this. This is God speaking here, and he's speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, Jeremiah, saying, listen to this, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. 
And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. So listen to what God's saying. God is speaking to a human and we're just going to just a little bit first of that. God says, before I formed you. It seems like we've already talked about being formed a little bit, right? Like, like, like we, we talked about that. God took Adam and he formed him. What God is telling us in this verse, and this is put in scripture for us to know more about God. God is saying, I still have claim to forming human beings. Every human being is formed by God still yet. It's not just science. It doesn't just happen. God, God is purposely, lovingly forming and making human beings because each human being is for a purpose. But the one that I love even more than that, God says, before I formed you, before I even started making you into a person-looking thing, but, but before, before you had hands, before you had a nose, before you had hiccups, Oakley had horrible hiccups. It's funny, Jessica's belly start jumping in the car. Like, like before you had hiccups, before you were born, before any of that, God says, I knew you. Now there's a powerful statement in what God's saying there. When, when you say you, you're referring to a person. God, God is acknowledging here. It's like, but, hey, but before any of that things happened, before a heartbeat, there was a you. You were a person. You were important to God. And God says, on top of that, I knew you. There's a connection and a relationship. What God is telling us is he's acknowledging the existence of us as people before birth, before even being formed. And this is a powerful verse. Very powerful when you're talking about this issue of where do Christians stand? What is the perspective of God? Here's the perspective of God biblically that we cannot argue with. God forms humans to be image bearers of his and he forms them and makes them image bearers in the womb at the moment of conception. There's no biblical arguing that. We may argue that because we just, we don't like that, but there's nothing that we can argue with God. And I just wanna remind us as I have to remind myself often, is when we are God's people, we submit our will and our opinions to God's word. So our next take-home truth is, is God forms and loves each and every unborn child. And the Bible is so clear that God loves each and every, each and every human. I don't care if you're an unborn child, if you're 99 years old, God has this great, powerful love for us. He loves us so much. He hears our cries. And that means that when we get a little bigger and we got all full of ourselves and we started deciding to do it our way, God said, go this direction. No, God, I got it. God said, hey, that's wrong. Yeah, you don't know anything. We started thinking, saying things to God like, you don't even exist. You don't know anything. I'm smarter than you. Even in all that, God still loved us so, so much that he was willing to pursue us. He, he took his only son. And he said, look, here's what we're gonna do. I love these people so much, even though they have hurt me, even though they have scorned me, even though they have turned away from me. I love them so much, you're gonna die for them. No, seriously, son, what I want you to do is I'm gonna have you hung on a cross and I'm gonna put all of my wrath and all of my anger for all the things they did to me. I'm gonna put it on you. I love them that much that I would do that to my own son. I love y'all, but I'm not giving up my daughter for you. You get mad at me and you do some bad things to me, we don't have to talk anymore. I'm not sacrificing my daughter to make that relationship right. But God did. Don't gloss over that just because you've been in church all your life and you know the story of Jesus. God took his son and said, yeah, on the level of importance, actually my people that I created, that I formed, are more important. I'll let you suffer for the sake of them. And so God loves me, God loves you, God loves 
the unborn children. To be a Christ follower means that we value what God values, that we love what God loves, which means that we love human life in and out of the womb, and we forget all of our arguments and all of our desires and all of our opinions in any other way. Now, some of us here today, some of us, you may have learned something. Maybe, maybe you've never heard it put that way. Maybe you leaned that. Maybe you, maybe you got a little stronger in your opinions. Uh, maybe this is completely contrary to what you believe because Fox News or CNN told you something different. And right now, you should be, if that's true, reevaluating your stances and making a choice. Do I follow God or do I follow me? If you're a follower of Christ, the answer is I follow God. For most of the people in this room, though, I would say that all I've done so far is affirm the views that you already have. And, and because of that, I want to continue on, and I, I want to talk about something else that is equally important with this issue in our society right now. I want to talk about our attitude in our perspective. So our next take-home truth, I want you to write this. This is important for us to write on our hearts. Right perspective does not excuse the wrong attitude. Having God's perspective on this issue does not excuse me or you from having the wrong attitude about our perspective on this issue. You can do the right thing in the wrong way, and it is still just as displeasing to God as if you had done it completely opposite of His will. God is, God is so, uh, values so much the way that we act and the way that we represent Him. So we got to ask ourselves, what is the right attitude with this issue. Like there's no verse in the Bible, there's no second parentheses 1219 that says in 2022 when the Supreme Court does this, this is how you react. It's not in there. If you want that verse, I don't have it for you. But what we do have is a standard for how we act in every situation. It's kind of like a number line. Do you guys ever do number lines in, in school? Like they, you put them on our test where you had a sequence of numbers. They look like this. I got some coming up. Uh, they have a sequence of numbers and you have to guess the next number based on that pattern. Um, I don't math well, so I, I, made, I didn't make up really complicated ones. So the first one, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32. What's the next number? 64. Very, you guys are smart. That took me a long time to come up with that. You guys are pretty smart. What about this next one? 3, 6, 9, 12. 15. All right, very good. So, so those are pretty easy. But in Scripture, it's easier than that. In Scripture, when we're asking what should our attitude be about any circumstance, it's like this next number line. See if you guys can figure this one out. Anybody know the answer to that one? One, right? It's pretty simple. Like if, it's, if the numbers that you're trying to figure out are one, 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 one blank. It's obviously a one, right? And so our attitude and perspective is laid out in Scripture just like that. So we're going to play a game to see if we can figure out what the next number, what the next word in the line is, what the attitude we should have is. So here's how this game works, all right? I'm going to read a verse from the Bible, and I want you to say the next word when I stop. Don't, don't freak out. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. You'll figure it out pretty quick, I promise. You'll, you'll get it. Okay, so here we go. We're going to start off with softball. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Very good. Okay, you guys have got that figured out. We're going to step it up just a little bit. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, now you guys are getting it. Are you seeing a pattern yet? Mm -hmm. Okay, this is going to make it easier. In Mark 12, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, and he replied in verse 30, And you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second like it is this, You shall 
Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no com uh, commandment greater than these. John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You guys are smarter than I gave you credit for. I love y'all so much. All right, let's keep going. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do be done with... 1 Corinthians 13, 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not, it profits me nothing. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly and affectionate to one another with brotherly, to honor giving preference to others. Romans 12, 12. And may the Lord uh, make you increase and abound in love to one another. Ephesians 4, 15. But speaking the truth in may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. First John 4, this is a law one. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is. Are you seeing a pattern? Are you guys smart enough to pick that up? What is the basis of our faith? Love. So why is it that we have such a lack of love and how we handle people who don't see things our way or, or who don't live a Christian lifestyle even though they don't know Christ. If the basis of our faith is love, why is it that we have sometimes a lack of love? Why is it that we treat people in bad ways and, and then we justify it in saying, oh, that was righteous anger. I talked to them that way or treated them that way because it was righteous anger. Uh, by the way, take righteous anger out of your vocabulary unless you're righteous. And if you think you're righteous, there's a Bible verse that you should study. It says there is none righteous, no, not one. Righteous anger is not for us, it's for God. Why is it that we go on a mission to stand up or to fight for God when the Bible has told us that that is not what God calls us to? He calls us to love. When Peter drew out his sword to protect Jesus, who did Jesus reprimand? Peter, why are you fighting for me? I don't need you to do that. Why is it when we use words and then we justify it by saying, well, I'm just telling it like it is. Instead of talking in love, when the Bible tells us, communicate with words that build others up. Like, like God is calling us to love in this situation and every other one. Our next take home truth is, is this. We are, called, or we are called to love no matter what. In the Bible, there's a story. It's one of my favorite stories about Jesus. I can just see it so clearly. Jesus is with his disciples and, and he's teaching there was a group of people called the Pharisees, and they, they didn't like Jesus because they didn't like what he taught. They didn't like that he taught forgiveness. They didn't like that he loved the people that they hated. And so what they did is they probably set a trap. It doesn't say that, but most likely. They found a woman who was committing adultery, caught her in the act, possibly set her up. And they drug her out of that bed, and they drug her through the streets, and they threw her at Jesus' feet. And there she lays probably naked, with all of her sin and shame on display for everybody and said, Jesus, what are you going to do? Are you going to love this woman or are we going to punish her for her sin? And Jesus didn't answer. He just stooped down and he began drawing in the sand. And they asked him again, Jesus, what are you going to do with this? We know good and well there's a punishment for her sin. Are you going to punish her or are you going to tell us to forgive her? And this is where that 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 famous line comes from from the Bible and Jesus stands up and he looks at all of these religious elite people he says you who are without sin go ahead and throw the first stone 
Now, I want to be clear. Sometimes that verse is used to excuse sin. That's not what Jesus was doing. But I do love the compassion and the love and the mercy of Jesus at this, one, this woman at his feet. Do you know what this story means? Jesus takes the morally superior people and he sides against them with the naked woman laying in the dirt. Why? Because he loved her. And he tells her, he says, they all leave. And he, he looks around and says, hey, ma'am, where are all the people who were telling me to have you killed? She said, they're not here. Where, who condemns you? Nobody condemns me. And this is what Jesus said to her. Neither do I go and sin no more. Now I want to ask you a question and how we deal with people that don't see things our way and how we deal with people that are making mistakes and how we deal with the sinners in our lives. Are we spreading that kind of love that Jesus did? Do we have that kind of compassion and mercy and grace? Because that's who Jesus was. And that's who we claim to follow, that he is in us and we are like him. This is my shampoo bottle, my old shampoo bottle. Uh, I've had this for like a year. It lasted a really long time. I, in fact, I just got a new one this morning. It was the best shower I've had. You know, when you get a new bar of soap or a new shampoo. And I noticed like three or four months ago, like... I was like, I'd get shampoo and I'd soap up my hair and, and, uh, and I, I just, it wasn't getting clean. And so I'd do it like, and I ended up doing it like four or five times. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if y'all know this. I put product in my hair. You probably didn't know that. Uh, but I put product in my hair. I'm like, well, it must be the stuff I'm putting. It's just not coming out. And one day I knocked this over in the shower and I picked it up and it sloshed. And it, shampoo's not supposed to slosh. It's thick. It sloshed. And I was like, what on earth? And what I realized is that as this said in the shower, this little nozzle thing up here, water had been getting in there for a long time and my shampoo had been getting slowly but more and more watered down and watered down. This morning when I finally opened this up and I poured it out, it was clear. It was barely soapy water. And for so many Christians, we're like the shampoo bottle. Like what we have on the outside says Christian but when we should have love on the inside, it's been watered down over time until, we'll, until what's coming out of us isn't actually the love that our God gives us. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we have both the perspective of God, but we have his attitude in that perspective. Because this week, since this ruling, millions of women have been cast at the feet of society with their, shins, their sin and shame on display. And they're hurting and I've got to ask myself, and I've got to ask you, like I've got to ask us, do I look more like that morally superior, morally superior Pharisee who condemned in front of Jesus? Or do I look more like Jesus who had his compassion and his love and grace on display? I had a very close friend in college. Um, I hadn't known her but about a week, and we were driving around, and I know this hurt her uh, so deeply because she just shared it with me, a stranger. And I don't even know how we got there, but in the middle of a conversation, she just broke down crying. And she shared with me that about a year earlier, her and her boyfriend had gotten pregnant. And she was scared, and she didn't know what to do. She didn't know what her parents would think. She didn't want to give up her college. She's just overwhelmed at this moment of an unexpected pregnancy. And because of that, and a little pressure from her boyfriend, she went and had an abortion. And she broke down in this car with a guy she barely knew and just started crying said, I know I'm going to hell. There's nothing that'll ever fix me. There's nothing that, that will ever make this right. 
And she was carrying that pain so deeply that it just would come out randomly. Through all the years I knew her, I watched how that pain affected the decisions we made in life, or she made in life. And the reason I'm sharing that particular story with you is that was not God's plan for her to carry that kind of hurt and shame. And I'm telling you that because she hid and is still hiding in plain sight. She was raised in church. She had great parents. She had an education. She has a job. She had social media. She's a church member. How many people in her life know what she did in one moment of weakness when she was a teenager and that she carries that? And, and the reason I'm telling you that is because I think we as a church, we need, to be, we need to be mindful that that story is more common than you know. Recent statistics tell us that one in four women in America, nearly one in four women in America have had an abortion. Nearly 25% of women in America have had an abortion. And we need to be careful not to let Satan convince us that the people that are screaming about how it was the greatest thing they ever did, that that's the majority. That is not the majority. The majority of women who did this are hiding in plain sight. And they're scared and they're hurt. And if those statistics are correct, listen, you know somebody that is hiding this from their past and carrying that shame. You work with them. You may go to church with them. It may be your children or your grandchildren, and they will never admit it to you. They made one decision in a moment of weakness that they carry for life. And can you imagine what this past week has been like for them? For those people who just want to forget, who carry that shame and that sin? We got one side of people screaming how empowered they are. I can tell you from someone who looked in the eyes of an 18-year-old girl, while she cried uncontrollably. That's not empowered. I don't know what it is, but it's not. And then we've got another side of people that are screaming, oh, that's murder and you're a murderer. And we gotta be careful in how we handle this, this sensitive subject where we do stand firm on God's stance on human life. That is our priority. But in doing so, we must love like Christ loved. And we can't let our first stance on God's stance on human life tell women that they are loveless. See, our job in this world is to go out into the world and tell people not what you did is wrong. Just tell people, look, you are loved. Who condemns you? Not me. Not my God. That, that's not it. That, that, God, that God is there for you. That God will forgive you if you will ask him that you are so loved. We get to go into the world and say this, is that our God came to this world to seek and save the lost. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross for perfect people. He died on a cross for the hurting and the broken. And we get to say that he did not come here to condemn you. And because of that, I don't condemn you either. See, you are loved. Because even you, God formed you in the womb of your mother. And he knew you before he formed you. And he loved you enough that Jesus came here and all the punishment and all the condemnation for any particular choice that you've made was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. And instead of seeing a God that stands with his arm folded who hates you, see a God with his hands outstretched waiting to give you a hug. And as Christians, that's what we should be because that's what our God is. We can make a stance for right and wrong, but we can do so in a loving way that says, that says, I will show you the love of Christ. 
So this morning, I, I just felt like we needed to address this, and I just want to take some time at the end of this just to worship the God for love and forgiveness. If you just need to pray about your heart, if there's something heavy, God wants to hear it. Take some time to pray. I'll pray with you. If you sit here and you're realizing, I never really knew that love of Christ. I just always knew rules. Maybe what God's telling you is it's your turn to accept him and become a follower of him because he loves you and what you've done just as much as he loves me and what I've done. And either chant, and either in any, anyway, let's not leave here the same as we walked in. Let's walk out as a force for God showing his love to the world. Let's stand and worship.